Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel according to Matthew. And because I know you all have such good memories and crystal clear thoughts, I won't have to rehash my sermon on the calling of Levi to you. But I do want to just highlight some things. And one of the things is that our Gospel reading brings us back into the place of Capernaum. Capernaum is a place that Jesus chose to uh, make the center of his ministry, uh, call it home. Um, If you look up Dr. Uh, Google, it'll tell you that Capernaum in Jesus' day had maybe 1,500 people. If you look up Dr. Wikipedia, or no, it's the other way around, but anyways, they say about 1,000. So in any place, it was a big place. There are high schools bigger. And we have to know that as we listen to this scripture. Because in a place like that, you may not be friends with all 999 other people, but you probably know them. And if you've been living there for 20, 30, 40 years, you know all their faces. And you've probably heard some good, juicy gossip. That's where, that situation where Jesus set up his ministry. You can understand perhaps why maybe the the ten disciples, eleven disciples, were really quite shocked when he called Levi the tax collector as a disciple. And today there's something a little bit more that Mark wants us to stop and to think about. When we think about Jesus' ministry, we realize there was opposition. Most of us would say the Jews were the opposition, but that's kind of funny because Jesus was a Jew. But I don't know what it is with people of faith, but for some reason we just don't get along. Just like Christians are divided into all sorts of groups, so were the Jews. There were the Essenes, and the Zealots, and the Herodians, and the Sadducees, and the Pharisees, and probably some others. Now at some point they all oppose Jesus. And he deals with them. Somewhere in the past I read, or I was taught, I don't know anymore, that the Sadducees controlled the temple and the area around Jerusalem. They were considered the progressives. The rural areas were controlled by the Pharisees. So Jesus set up his ministry in the midst of Pharisees. This is a big town, right? There's only one synagogue. All the people who lived in the town of Capernaum went to the same synagogue. They all got educated by the same teachers. And they were most likely all Pharisees. Which just happens to add just another little layer to the story at the beginning of Mark. And of John where it says he came to his own and they recognized him not. Or they wouldn't receive him. So Jesus is dealing with his own people. Mark 5. I'm going to read this scripture this morning in parts. We're going to read Mark 5. We're going to start in 21. And we'll read first to verse 34. When Jesus 
had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake. A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. Trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. As the boat pulled in, there was already a crowd there. Jesus already had a reputation. It flew through town. Jesus is coming. He already had done miracles. Am I doing that? He had already done miracles and... Yes, he was a celebrity of sorts. And then they get out of the boat, Jesus and the twelve. They get on the shore. And the crowd gathers... And as the crowd has gathered, something very odd happens. The crowd starts to move and separate a little bit as Jairus, the synagogue ruler, starts to walk towards Jesus. And he comes up and he falls on his knees in front of Jesus. And he begs. Pleads means begs. He begs for Jesus' help. Now, let's take a step back and just look at this. Can you see the disciples? They're almost giddy. Right? Everywhere they go, the Pharisees are the opposition. The Pharisees are nothing but a pain. And here comes the synagogue leader. The one who embodies all the opposition. He comes, and not only does he come to Jesus asking for help, he gets on his knees. Tell me, who was the last person you got on your knees for? Right? That picture, all by itself, of the leader of the synagogue, the leader of the community, humbling himself before Jesus is powerful. And he pleads. He says, Jesus, please come. 
I know that if you touch my daughter, she will be healed. And he says, yes. And now the disciples are all cheerful because this is victory for them. This is just what they had been hoping for and what they've been praying for. Right? That there would be some kind of acknowledgement, some kind of acceptance. That it would all go their way. That Jesus would be recognized as a rabbi, as a teacher, as a leader. They start to walk. And all of a sudden... Jesus stops in the middle of the crowd. And what does he say? Who touched my clothes? Not who touched me, but who touched my clothes? Oh, the disciples are now starting to scratch their heads. And they're starting to worry. Because this doesn't look good. Right? He's standing still in the middle of the street. He should be walking towards Jariah's house, right? Keep going, Jesus. You know, what is this? How can you possibly think or ask, who touched my clothes? But he kept on saying, who touched me? There was a woman in the crowd. And in a society that placed a lot of value on keeping the laws of the Old Testament. Now when I read, when I watch The Chosen on television, it tells me there are 613 rules in the Old Testament. You know, this is, this is quite a situation. Because she's unclean. She has an issue of bleeding. We don't know what that means. At least, lots of speculation, but nobody knows for sure. She had gone to doctors for years. Whatever money she had has been spent, and she wasn't, didn't get better. She only got worse. Everybody must have known who she was. When everything stops, and Jesus says, who touched me? People start looking around, and they saw her. Can you imagine what they did? They all jumped back. You see, because if you touched her, because she was unclean, you couldn't go to synagogue. You couldn't worship. You had to go through all these rituals to get clean. She wasn't supposed to be there. She was a risk to everybody. But finally she comes forward. And she falls before Jesus just like Jarius did. She says, it was me. I thought if I just touched the hem of your garment, I would be whole. I would be healed. And it happened. I could feel it. It happened. Jesus said to her, <coughs> Daughter, your sin or your faith has, made, has healed you. You can go in peace. You can, when I read that, I just imagine the shock that was in the crowd. This unclean person. Jesus basically said, you're not unclean. Go in peace. And then, just as that was going and settling, people came. I'm going to read for you now from 35 to 43. 
chapter 5. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. It's like the opportunity suddenly was gone. A moment of sadness, a sad bit of sad news, and all the possibility of Jesus being accepted vaporized. He didn't get there in time. He didn't heal the little girl. She was now dead. You can imagine both the sadness, but maybe also the disappointment of the disciples because they had been so close to Jesus being accepted. Or at least that's what they thought. But the servants came and said, Don't bother the teacher. Your little, your little girl is dead, Jairus. And Jesus looked at Jairus I can see him possibly looking Jairus right in the eyes and saying, don't be afraid. Just believe. And he proceeds to the house. Professional wailers are already there. And the mourners are already there. It's only a small town, 1,000, 1,500 people. News travels fast. Probably the whole town knew already that the little girl was dead. And they laughed at Jesus when he told them that the 12-year-old was not dead. And soon she was walking around again. Two different stories. Mark weaves them together in such a wonderful way. Did you know, if you careful, the woman had been suffering for 12 years and the little girl was 12 years old. It's a wonderful two stories woven together of people searching for help. Jairus must have known that going to Jesus was going to cause a scandal. A first class scandal. There is no way he could do it secretly. The whole town would know. Him, the synagogue ruler, He must have known that getting on his knees in public was also going to communicate something very loudly. Humbling himself before Jesus. Begging for help. It wouldn't play well with many of his contemporaries. 
word probably spread. Did you hear? The woman also knew that going into that crowd was going to cause a scandal. She also was taking a huge risk searching out Jesus. If you read through all the Gospels, you get this, she hid herself, she cloaked herself. She hid in the crowd, looking down at the ground. She didn't even dare to look at Jesus. I'm pretty sure that neither of them understood that Jesus was the long-expected, long-awaited Christ. But they knew He was a man of God. They knew that God worked through Him. A teacher sent by God, a prophet, who was called to lead God's people. They both believed, and that faith gave the woman and Jariah's daughter life. You see, my faith and your faith produces blessings. And we don't always see them. In the first case of the woman who touched his cloak, faith produces a blessing in your own life. Our lives are full of struggles and secrets and full of regrets. And often when we talk to God, we have a huge list of wants and desires. Faith, the faith of this woman, brought her peace. Yes, it also brought her miraculous healing. When we turn to Jesus in honesty about our lives, and we ask for miracles, or we ask for blessings, we probably have some doubts that we're ever going to see those realized. But because we're talking to God, because we're focused on God, in that moment, we know His peace. And that peace gives us strength And even if we don't get what we want, we're given what we need to get through. When I was ill, I can't tell you how many people were praying for miracles that I would get better. But my wife said to me, what amazed her was the peace. The peace that rested on us. And as I got better, it rested on us together. When Jesus said to Levi, follow me, he was offering a Matthew a new future, a new life. He didn't know who Jesus was either. The woman didn't know who Jesus was. Jarius probably didn't understand who Jesus was. And the little girl, well, she definitely didn't understand. But each of them shared something. Faith enough to follow. Faith enough to reach out. Faith enough to seek out. And even if we don't fully understand who Jesus is, just seeking Him out 
changes our lives. And so we have to understand that as we seek the Lord, we're not all in the same place. Some of us are a lot older than others. We may not want to admit it, but we've been walking this path for a lot longer. And because of that, our understanding is different than someone who's half my age or a third of my age. Right? Our perspective of the world is different. I used to always think when I was in, when I was in catechism, I remember being strictly forbidden to sing songs like I have decided to follow Jesus. But my life has taught me that there is a moment in faith when you follow and you believe full-hearted and with all you are that you have decided to follow Jesus. But when you're an old man and you've been at it for a while, you realize there's no way I did it on my own. I know not why God's wondrous love. Faith produces blessings in our lives because it invites God to come in. Invites the Spirit to come in. And when we follow Jesus, just doing that will shape and influence our lives. Secondly, my faith can be a blessing to others. When Jariah's servant came to him with the news that his daughter had died, Jesus said, don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus urged Jariah not to give up. Not to give up on Jesus, not to give up on his daughter. Hold on to your faith. Don't be afraid, just believe. Jariah's daughter was not given new life because of her faith. The dead don't have faith. Jesus restored her to life as if she had been sleeping. And she got up, she walked around, and she ate. Our faith also has a blessing on the people around us. We don't always see that. You get a little bit older, and you realize that your children, and sometimes your grandchildren, haven't made the decisions about faith and life that you wish they had. And you ask yourself, haven't I made any difference in anyone's life? But you have. The people you love, they know you pray for them. Your loving kindness influences how they live and how they think. We often don't see the results of our lives and our prayer life. But that doesn't mean it doesn't have great value. Jariah's daughter was blessed because of her father's, and we'll say her mother's, faith. Sometimes we don't see it. When I was a teenager, in those days the Avon lady was an ever-popular person. My mother got to know the Avon lady very well, and apparently the Avon lady had a wayward daughter. My mother promised that she would pray for Sylvia faithfully and regularly move the clock 15, 20 years ahead. My mother has passed away and my oldest sister got the job of cleaning up the house. 
And so she bundled up all my mother's clothes and she brought them to a woman's shelter. And the, the stuff was being, the clothes were being collected in a local church. My sister walks in the door, puts down all the boxes, and as she's turning around, who is leading the Bible study? Sylvia was leading the Bible study. My mother never knew that. My mother prayed for her for about 20 years and never knew what happened. We don't always know, but our faith and our prayers have an influence. Not one of us can give our faith to our loved ones. Believe me, if I could, I would. I would give it to my my children. I would give it to my grandchildren. I would do anything to see faith bloom in their lives. But that's not how it works. They have to hear the voice of Jesus, so I pray that they hear it, and I pray that God pulls their hearts closer to Him. As some people have said, we are the only Bible that some people will ever read. So faith produces a blessing in my life, and it is a blessing to those around me. Last scripture reading, Mark 6, the first six verses. Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense to him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house, is a prophet without honor. He could not do, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. a strange story. Mark is full of these little strange stories. It's the way he worded it. Jesus couldn't do anything. Now, I don't know. I never think of Jesus as not being able. But Mark says, no, he couldn't. He couldn't do anything. Just a few miracles here or there. But really, he couldn't do anything. And he wants us to stop and think about that because this is very brief and it's very blunt. People were grumbling against Jesus and Jesus could do nothing. He could not do any miracles except help a few sick people. Blessing, faith can be a blessing in my life and my faith can be a blessing in the lives of those around us. But when you reject everything, it can't help you. That's the scary thing. He has the power to help. Jesus has the power to help people and the willingness to help them. But they must first turn to Him. That's just truth. The rich young ruler comes up and he jumps out of his Porsche 
wearing his $1,000 suit, and he gets on his knees in front of Jesus. Jesus says, sell all you have and follow me. And he can't do it. That made Jesus very sad because the Bible says what? Jesus loved him. And it made the man, the young man, very sad because he didn't get what he wanted. But he couldn't give up to follow. In the book of Mark, in the warp of the stories, is a call to faith. The very first verse, the very first sentence of Mark says, this is about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In other words, take this seriously. That doesn't mean that we stop talking to people who seemingly have turned their back on God because we don't know that for sure. Only God knows. Only Jesus knows. We may think we know. So what do we do? We keep praying. We keep encouraging. We keep loving. Faith is a simple yet a very amazing thing. If we seek Jesus out and follow, we can get peace in our lives, peace in our hearts. We can also be freed from certain kinds or maybe all suffering. But if we turn away, we are left just as we are. Left to find it all on our own. And we look, and we look, and where in this world do you go? Where in this angry and evil world do you go to find peace and to find blessing? Jesus says to each of us, follow me. And if you follow me, the Spirit of the living God will come upon you and you will be molded and shaped. As we confess in the Catechism, one of my favorite lines, why do we do good? We do good so that by our actions, our faith is affirmed and we become more and more like Christ. It's a journey. We are all works in progress. That's why we need each other so bad. Faith is something that we're given and something we must nurture and something that gives us life. Amen. We stand to 